0: Scripture readings this evening will be 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15, and then I'll read Galatians 2, verses 20 and 21. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us. Since we have concluded this, that Christ died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. And was raised. Galatians 2:20 20 and 21. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So the life I now live in the body, I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside God's grace, because if righteousness could come through the law, then Christ died for nothing. This is God's word. Please be seated.
1: Good evening. If you'd like to open your Bibles to John chapter 12, we'll be spending some time in that text in just a few moments. Let's begin by going to our Father in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we are so very grateful for the many ways that you have blessed our lives. And Father, we're thankful for your Son and the life that he has given us and made possible for us. Father, thank you for the promises that you have made that we can depend upon and that fortify us and and help us live life for you. Father, we've gathered this evening to worship, to serve you, to to pray to you to lift songs up before you and we pray father that this time of our devotion to you that it'll come up as a sweet savor before you father we also pray that and ask that you you bless this time of studying your word we wish to hear the the message that you put there and allow it to shape and mold us father give us ears that can hear And eyes that can see. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. One of the really wonderful things about life is that we do not have to do it all alone. We we live in community, and our spheres of influence bring us into various communities. As you think about the people that you're living life with, the people that you know best, what do you think might be driving their lives? Do you have a pretty good idea about the motivations and the forces that shaping those around you? Usually, by looking at the patterns that we see, in people's lives, patterns that arise from how someone makes decisions, patterns that arise on, on how they interact with others, unguarded conversations. We get insights and inklings onto un, those things that might be shaping those, those forces that drive lives. And, and if I think of my parents, if you think of your parents, we think of our best friends, we, we think of those we associate, we probably have a pretty good idea of what it is that's molding them and and causing them to to live life as they do. And what we see, it might be winsome. It might be beautiful. Or it it could be selfish and enslaved to pursuing things. And that often causes a a wake of destroyed relationships. But whatever we see, whatever we discern, we see something about what is molding the lives of people? So let's, let me ask you a question. From the time that we spend in reading about Christ and the time that we have spent in listening to lessons about our Savior, what do we understand drove and shaped his life? What do we see? I'll give you a minute to think about it. (laughs) I'm going to guess that, that what might probably come to the surface in our minds, what might gravitate to the forefront, could be that he loved God and he loved people. And even before we see the extent of his love in going to the cross and dying for us, Jesus also showed his love for us in other ways. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? At the end of that sermon, Jesus told the crowds about two ways to live life. Now, remember who the crowds are. The crowds, they, they are just a hodgepodge of everybody. It's the Tom, Dick, and the Harrys. It's the Mary, Sallys, and Sues. It's everybody. Is up, come up on that, that mountainside, and he has been teaching them. And at the end of teaching them, he gives them two stories about how to live life. One way involves living a life. That will ultimately collapse when the storm comes. The alternative is to obey what He has just taught them. And if they will do this, then they will live a life that will not collapse when the storm comes. But their life will remain strong on that foundation. Now, why would Jesus teach the crowds this? It's because He cares. And he's wanting the crowds, he's wanting the people, everyone within earshot, to have a life that will withstand the storm. He's wanting to bless lives and help. When we come to John chapter 12, once again we find Jesus' love pouring out through what he's teaching. He's teaching us how to live life in a way so that we'll win. Listen to his words If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Let this soak in. The Father will honor us if we serve Jesus. Maybe that honor will come in the form of well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You know, this, Mark, this morning, Mark said, I want to see everyone in, in heaven. I, I want to see all of us in heaven as well. And in fact, if I think if we were to talk with each other, we would say, yes, we want to see each other in heaven, but not only each other, but we want to see a lot more of San Antonio. We want to see all of San Antonio in heaven. We want to see people around the world with us in heaven. And what is significant in this text is Jesus is essentially saying to everyone who will listen, I want to see you there. He wants us to be honored by the Father, and so he gives us the key so that we will be. The path to success, he says, is serve me. Now there's a question that needs to be asked. It's an appropriate question. And what does Jesus have in mind here when he says, serve me? For us to really grasp what Jesus is saying to us and wanting us to learn about serving him, we need to listen to a story. It's a story about time and timing. It's a story about Jesus. And it's what we learn from time and Jesus That's going to set a stage, a stage for understanding what he's talking about when he says, serve me. So let's take a look. The Gospel of John, chapter 7, verse 30. Jesus was teaching in the temple courts. He's teaching about his father, and they tried to seize Jesus. But no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. Well, it's not long before we come to John chapter 8 and verse 20. And once again, Jesus is teaching in the the temple courts about his father. But no one seized him because his time had not yet come. So who's in control here? It's not the people in the temple court. (laughs) It's not the rulers. It's not the authorities. It's not those who oppose his message. They're not in control here. Jesus is in control, and no one's going to seize him until the time comes. He's in control, and it's going to be his timing. And this brings us to John chapter 12, the text that we're going to dig into tonight. This is the text where Jesus has said that if we serve him, the Father will honor us. Now, the the setting is that of the Passover feast, It's just around the corner. Jews from all over the world have begun to flock to Jerusalem and were told, now some Greeks were among those who had gone up to worship at the feast. So these approached Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested, sir, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and they both went and told Jesus. Jesus replied, the time has come. For the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the solemn truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies. It remains by itself alone. But if it dies. It produces much grain. When Jesus realizes that the non-Jews have begun to seek him. He announces the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And with these words Jesus is staring squarely at the path that leads to the cross. His cross looms before him. It's not far away. And we should not be surprised that as Jesus thinks about this path and the cross that's not so far away, that these thoughts are very unsettling to him. I mean, the thought of dying, the thought of dying by crucifixion, to know its right there these thoughts are unsettling and so jesus says now my soul has become troubled and what shall i say father save me from this hour but for this purpose i came to this hour father glorify your name jesus knew that his death was important in fact his death was absolutely necessary and we we know that and this is why he came But why was his death so necessary? Well, there's many ways that we could uh, use Scripture to, to describe that. But using this text, we could put it this way. Without death, there can be no fruit. Without death, there can be no fruit. And this is what Jesus is teaching in John chapter 12 and verse 24. I tell you the solemn truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. If Jesus stays alive, there will be no disciples. There will be no great gathering in heaven. He will remain alone. But if he dies, then many more. There will be a great harvest. As long as a, a weed of grain, and this is the zoomed-in version... <laughs> As long as a kernel of grain remains intact, whole, there can be no plant. There can be no harvest. But if that whole kernel of grain is destroyed, if it splits and comes apart, if what was whole in that kernel is no longer that whole kernel, but it is destroyed because it has germinated then out of it comes a plant and that plant produces and there's a harvest we recognize the truthfulness of what Jesus has taught about producing more about us being the harvest if Jesus had not gone to the cross for us we could not be saved and it's through his death God forgives us and claims us as his people we know that his death is essential Now, all of this sets the stage for what it means to serve me. See, what might surprise us is Jesus applied this principle about death producing fruit not only to himself but also to us. In the midst of teaching about his own death, in the midst of of his own trepidation at facing it, Jesus essentially says, this is not just about me. It's about how you need to live your life also. Why? Because it's only with our death that we too will produce fruit. John chapter 12, verse 24. But if it dies, it produces much grain. The one who loves his life destroys it and the one who hates his life in this world guards it for eternal life if anyone wants to serve me he must follow me and where I am my servant will be too if anyone serves me the father will honor him why does Jesus tell us this why is he telling us and this and applying this principle to our lives I mean I need to die in order to produce fruit jesus why tell me this because he loves me (laughs) he wants me to know he wants us to know the secret if you will the key on what the path that leads to the father honoring us he wants there to be many who will be there and honored by the father so he tells us how to walk in order for that to be true about our lives And so, in love, he looks at us and says, it's good for you to pick up your cross and to follow me. F.F. Bruce has accurately stated, the principle stated in verse 24, that is, the idea about grain dying to produce fruit, is of wide application. In particular, if it is true about Jesus, it must be true of his followers. They, too, must be prepared to renounce present interests for the sake of a future inheritance. Now, this quote is not true because F.F. F. Bruce wrote it. F.F. F. Bruce wrote this because he recognized its truth. <laughs> and Jesus wants there to be a thought that's going to soak deep into our hearts. When we die to ourselves, we bear fruit. Just like when he died, he bore fruit. Jesus taught and demonstrated so much about love. And so this this quote about hating life, um, this language here about hating life may sound strange to our, our ears, but this is no out of character slip of his tongue. Remember Luke chapter 14 when he's talking about discipleship again? He says in verse 26, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And this language sounds so strong, but this love and hate language that we find Jesus using on a number of occasions is a Jewish idiom about decision making. When faced with a decision, what a person chooses, what is chosen, is what is loved. What is not chosen is what is hated or rejected. Remember Jesus again in the Sermon on the Mount? No man can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one and love the other, despise the one, hold the other. You have two bosses. You can't have two bosses. They'll drive you nuts do this do that you got to choose you can't have two masters you can't have two bosses because they're going to tell you different things and as soon as you choose one you love one and as soon as you reject one you hate one remember God as he's working through history in Genesis and repeated again there in, by Paul in Romans. Jacob I've loved. Esau I've hated. God chose Jacob and the lineage of Jacob. And Paul's point is about election and God's choosing. And so to prove that God chose, he says, Jacob I've loved because the, 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 uh, the loving is the choosing. He chose Jacob and his lineage and he rejected or hated he hated Esau and did not use his lineage. Um, remember this, the uh, Mount Transfiguration? Now, we know that the Gospel of Matthew is written to a Jewish audience. Um, it uses their idioms, it uses their their sensibilities. Uh, their, some of their customs are really brought forward. Matthew chapter 17, verse five. The way that Matthew describes God speaking at the Mount of Transfiguration is this is my beloved son. This is my son the one I love. Now we go over to Luke. Luke's written to a non-Jewish audience. It's written to a Gentile audience and he's going to try to communicate God's message to Gentiles. Don't know Jewish idioms. On the Mount of Transfiguration chapter 9 and verse 35. Luke describes God's words as, this is my son, my chosen one. You see, what is loved is what you choose. What you hate is what you reject. And so, in John chapter 12, Jesus had said, if we hate our life in this world, if if we're rejecting living for the here and the now, and putting that first, he says, you'll keep your life for eternal life. He wants us to win. And to win, we need to choose God before self. Elsewhere, Jesus used the same language about saving or losing one's life to describe picking up that cross, again, that denial of self, in order to follow him. Luke chapter 9, 23 and 24, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. The most succinct expression I know to capture this idea that Jesus is describing is following Jesus requires living with a cruciform lifestyle. If we're going to be disciples, if we're going to follow him, we need to live cruciform lives. This word cruciform, it means shaped by the cross. Lives that have been shaped by the cross. And just like Jesus who served God's will by dying on a cross, the follower of Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. The follower of Jesus denies oneself in order to serve him, to live for him who died for us. And so we come back to that earlier question at the very beginning What did Jesus have in mind when he said that those who serve him, God is going to honor? And in this context, to serve Jesus describes choosing to follow him over family or even self, over the things of this world. We choose God. We choose Christ. We die to ourselves in order to live for him. The one who loves his life Jesus said, destroys it. If I choose me, if I choose what I want, if I choose this world, I lose it. But the one who hates his life in this world guards it for eternal life. If anyone wants to serve me, he must follow me. And where I am, my servant will be too. You know, I I mentioned at the beginning that we live lives in community. And And this is our Christian community. I see lives. I see cruciform lives. Beautiful lives. This past Saturday morning, I saw some cruciform lives. I was over here, it was about 11.30 in the morning, and I walked by the the door and I, I looked out and I saw a bunch of guys with water bottles. <laughs> and they had, they had chosen to give up their Saturday morning. Now how many things on Saturday do guys have to do that they like to do? There's lots of things I want to do on a Saturday morning. that Anyone wants to do on a Saturday morning. But these guys chose to give up their Saturday morning to come up to get a truck. To go over to HEB to spend time loading all of that stuff onto the truck, then to come back over here and unload all of that food into the care cottage so that more people with cruciform lives this week could bless our community. And as people who have need come here to receive help, they will be there and they'll have those resources available to pass on to people in the name of Christ. And to do good. God honors those who serve Jesus. My great aunt was told by her atheist father that if she became a follower of Jesus by being baptized, he would throw her out of the house. My understanding is, is that several months went by but the hour of decision had arrived, and what would she choose? Self, security, safety, or Christ? In the middle of the winter, she announced she wanted to respond to Christ in baptism. And a small group of Christians went down to the local creek and broke the ice, and made a spot large enough to baptize her. She chose to pick up her cross and follow Jesus. God honors those who serve Jesus. It's a story that has happened countless times. Vicious comments are are made that deeply hurt someone. And then there may come a request for forgiveness. And perhaps even though the request sounds a little bit hollow based on what is said or what's been done, the hurt has been so deep, but a Christian Although they, this Christian might feel like lashing out, like, like putting up a brick wall and saying, no, no, you've got to lie in what you've made. But a Christian being committed to doing things God's way, not my way, extends forgiveness. God honors those who serve Jesus. Sunday morning, someone's looking through the bulletin and notices a request for teachers. Like everyone else, she wants all of her Saturdays for herself. (laughs) But knowing she's needed and knowing she is not her own, she's been bought with the precious blood of Christ, the one who died for her, that she's to live for Him. She chooses to live for Him who died for her. And she says, count me in. I'll do what I can. God honors those who... Serve Jesus. A Bible lesson emphasized how God wants to use us as weak clay vessels to carry the gospel to others. Uh, God doesn't boom this message from from the the heavens. No, but in the foolishness of preaching, in the foolishness of, of people sharing this message, that's how He's chosen to work. And so this person has, this Christian has heard. And thought about this message. And there's a strong tug. Just, well, to stay within one's own comfort zone. But as this Christian drives home, he decides to acquire training. To to learn what he can do. In order to connect with people. And to show how beautiful Christ is. And invite them to have what he already has. God honors those who serve Jesus. Another Christian driving home through the neighborhood and those rows of houses senses an inner conflict. On one hand, uh, there is that strong tug again just to follow the same old routine, do things the way they've always been done. You know, the the plan is um, to relax in an air-conditioned room for hours and hours and hours and hours watching that sports (laughs) Nothing wrong with sports. I like it. It's great. But, but the plan is also to do this the next day and the next day and next week and next month. But instead, he decides to die to self and to make a plan, a plan that's going to involve getting to know his neighbors better, trying to get out in the neighborhood those that, that he can rub shoulders with and begin to serve them and show them, get involved in their lives as much as they'll let him, and, and do good, and show the beauty of Christ instead of just enjoying what I can, entertainment. And, and in, in the plan also involves not only showing the beauty of Christ and serving and doing the good that God has prepared for those that he has created his workmanship, but, but also he plans to, to look at, at ways that he can invite them to things so they, they can come and begin to learn what Christ can do for them. God honors those who serve Jesus. To live a cruciform life involves embracing an attitude about who's in control of us everywhere we go. Unless a seed dies, it does not produce fruit. Paul would sum up Jesus' thoughts in a short statement. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Cruciform living. Brothers and sisters, well we want to follow we want to follow our lord he carried a cross he went to it we want we we're here because we've said yes to jesus and we want to follow him so what is there that can be contributing and, and help us to to grow in cruciform living well here's just three very short quick very quick suggestions one decide that god is sufficient you know we won't die to ourselves, I won't die to myself, unless I believe that God is worthy, one, and two, that everything he promised is reliable. Is God sufficient? How many, what are, what's the extent of the promises he's, he's made? Is he worthy of this? And when I believe that God is sufficient, then my heart becomes more willing to die to self to live for him a second thing decide to pursue God's purposes Paul would put it this way in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 offer your bodies as living sacrifices there's that cruciform living holy and pleasing to God he goes on to say do not conform any long to longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is his good pleasing and perfect will What is God's will? Well, in very general terms, that we live lives of service, that we love him, that we love others, that we're these instruments that he can use in this world, that he can be glorified. He wants more people to come in relationship with his son so that more people can be blessed. These are some of the general contours of of God's wills for our life. And third, make it a lifestyle, not just an activity. A cruciform life involves a lifestyle. It it involves embracing an attitude about who's in control of us wherever we go. It's not just something we say, well, I'm gonna do this here then. (laughs) But we've made a commitment. This is who we are, and this is how we live. And wherever we find ourselves, we carry that cruciform life with us. If disciples of Jesus are those who have picked up their crosses serve God when do they make that commitment when does someone enter into this life of of having died to self in order to live for God well in Romans chapter 6 Paul is going to describe that it's with our baptism that we die with Christ and we're buried into his death and and not only this he goes on to say that our old body of sin is crucified it's it's done away with in order that, it goes on in chapter 6, in the latter part, that we might live for God, not for sin. With baptism, those desiring to follow Jesus die to themselves. That's the nature of the commitment. We're we trusting in God and what God's power can do in our life and transforming us and making us new, but we're also making a commitment. It's a commitment that I am not going to live the way I've lived before. I'm living for you, and I'm dying to who I am that I can be yours. I'm trusting in your power to transform me, to make me a new creation, your workmanship to do the good that you have intended and planned for us to do. Jesus wants us to thrive. The reason he teaches us these things is not to make us feel guilty. I mean, that could be a a product, Um, but it's not to put a, a burden on us. Jesus wants us to thrive. He wants us to be blessed. He wants us to be honored by the Father. He wants there to be a great harvest. And so he he tells us how we can live so we can be there. And he's calling us to cruciform lives. When people look at the MacArthur Park Church of Christ, let's make sure they see lives Shaped by the cross. Well, it may be this evening someone has not yet taken up the cross to follow Jesus. And we invite you to acknowledge Christ, to be buried with Him in baptism, to be raised up by God's power to a new life, cleansed God's person. There may also be some uh, some prayer requests or something that this family needs to know. We can pray for each other, encourage each other along the way. Whatever it is, let us know. Always stand and sing.